Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. This is a place to connect creatively, humanly. We want it to be inspiring. We wanted it to be warm and inviting and just frictionless. And that's what we designed and that's what people are experiencing. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Lisa Hannum is a communications professional. She's built her career telling stories of other businesses, so it's no surprise she's really good at telling her own. But when I talked to her off the mic a few months ago about the new space she built in St. Paul for her company, Beehive Strategic Communications, I was struck by her thoughtful approach to leadership, culture building, and hybrid work at a time when just about every company, small and large, is trying to figure it out. Of course, Lisa had a head start. Culture is what compelled her to leave the world of big agencies to start her own public relations firm way back in 1998 when workplace flexibility, it wasn't up for discussion. Lisa saw a different way and it prepared her for the dramatic shift in time management and employee well-being that we're seeing today. So 25 years ago was a long time ago in business and the yeah. trajectory of being a working parent, being a working mom seems no, no, not so much on the flexibility. Lifetime ago yeah. in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so I had my first child and I couldn't negotiate a return to work schedule that I felt was really going to work for me and my family. So I left a partnership and my business plan was a photo of my daughter and a copy of the mortgage hanging up in <laughs> the guest room. Very both very compelling. Huh? Yes, indeed. <laughs> So after a dozen years of working in agencies, I was really, really lucky to have some great former colleagues and former clients, all of whom were now working in different companies across the Twin Cities principally. And when I said, you know, I'm available to freelance, I really was able to magnetize some great people in my network. And I never looked back. Hmm. And so, yeah. So it was really more about necessity and what was going to work for you, not so much I want to own a business or right. build a business. It really was. And the reason I had the confidence to do that is I did have that varied background, diverse skills, knew what I was good at, had worked for some great clients and had been exposed to a lot mm -hmm. of different types of businesses and different parts of marketing. What I also knew is having gone through a number of industrial psychology inventories, mm -hmm. as they used to be called when you were being screened for hiring, uh -huh. I indexed very high for risk and change. Huh. Those are two qualities that are embedded in being a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. So I really thought, hmm, if these are things that, you know, I've got data that tells me that I could tolerate this, this seems like a good time to give it a shot. Interesting. Don't you, th I think if you look around the Twin Cities, there are a number of women founders of agencies that probably 
there's probably a lot of similarities to the the corporate structure stopped working for me. I wanted to make my own rules, so I started my own thing. They are my partner warriors, Mm -hmm. uh, many of them. And for, you know, 25 years ago, I was looking to people like Tina Wilcox, who had fame and then had black. Yep. Lynn Robertson, who just sold fame. Yep. So a number, there were so many, Sue Kruskoff and a number of really generous people yeah, in the market. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And something that I have always appreciated hearing on your podcast is other entrepreneurs acknowledging that we live in a really generous market. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak for other markets because I always lived here. But I was so grateful to not only have access to people to learn from and people who were my champions and would have coffee with me. They'd even buy the coffee back in that day (laughs) and would really share their journey with me and give me advice. And the flip side of it was, you know, as you start to grow as an entrepreneur, I was continuing to grow my family. And so as you grow as an entrepreneur, I needed to find other freelancers. I needed a network. This market has been really, really strong on freelance and fractional and interim talent since well before the rest of the world really caught on. So that became a really important part of my strategy, too, was to work with freelancers who could take over the clients and the business so that I could have meaningful breaks when I went on to have two more children. When I started to add people to the firm. How quickly was that? It was about five years. Okay. So when I formally started adding people, and again, that trajectory arcs right to the ages of my kids, to Mm. be very honest. I wanted to work from home. I needed to be responsible principally for myself, my clients. And then I worked with freelancers. So we were running close to a million dollars of business Mm -hmm. just working with me and freelancers. All out of your homes. Correct. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that was the model that worked the best for us at that time. So now I have three kids. They're 20, 22, and 24. Back at that time, I really wanted to be able to work from home and have a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. So I continued to work with freelancers while I was growing the business. And after my youngest was about a year old, I sort of looked around and said to my husband, I was not built to work really in my basement by myself. (laughs) Even though you'd been doing it a number of years at this point. That's correct. Time to get out of the house. Yeah, my network, my connections were all of those other fellow entrepreneurs and business owners and my freelance friends, Mm -hmm. the people that we worked with. And so it was time to see if I could scale this thing Mm. in a way that was still very people forward, very people centered. I knew after five years that it was very possible to have a really challenging and rewarding career that was fulfilling and also manageable, Hmm. is in professional services, sometimes the hours can be relentless. It certainly was the case uh, 20 years ago, 25 Mm -hmm. years ago. But I really found a way that I thought would be able to work. And so had all the people I was working with. Yeah. And so... um, Well, what was the key to that? What was the key to having boundaries around the work, especially when ultimately it all falls on you? Really good planning. So I started using utilization rate tools and different things well before anything was available in the marketplace. There was no software as a service at that time. So I ran it all on my Excel spreadsheet and figured out how much work could I and my freelance network reasonably take on and make sure that people still had flexibility to manage life as it comes up and to not overcommit. 
And so what was tricky was in professional services, and especially when you work in crisis communications and media relations, you need to set aside about 20% of your time for things that will flow in. So I was always working at this kind of 80% productivity sort of model Mm -hmm. and always left that 20% open. Hmm. So it was open. Those openings really ended up being an opening for new opportunities and new possibilities. At what point did you say, gosh, I really need to spend more time leading and less time doing, which is what often happens with any sort of startup? Well, to move beyond a million, and keep in mind, that was me and a number of freelancers, but to move beyond that that threshold and really be able to start to get to a place where we could afford a lot of resources and tools and things that are really important, especially as technology was starting to become such an important part of our business Mm -hmm. and the world in general, it was really important to start bringing on direct hires that we then could start to disperse the work so that I could do more of the business development, growth work, the operating work. Um, And you liked all of that? I would say that I had varying degrees of like. Okay. So there, there, some of it was necessary, mm-hmm. but I also did not try to do everything. The first fractional person I ever, ever worked with, I still work with today, only now she's my full-time CFO. Mm. So I worked with just an amazing woman named Becky McNamara, who took me out of my white three-ring binder and into QuickBooks. Mm. And so Becky continued to work um, together with me, and she had her own, you know, freelance company. And she came in house with us about seven years ago. Hmm. So she's been on this journey with me since the very, very beginning. Is that advice you would give to other founders, certainly of a of a service organization, hire a CFO? It's a. This is a question I get asked a lot because Becky wasn't a CFO at that time. Yeah. She was my bookkeeper. And over time, she became a really, really important advisor to me. So I would say that if you're looking to start a business, there are going to be things that either you are not good at, you do not have the skill set, and B, you don't want to do it. Yeah. And so take the risk, make the investment to outsource those things really fast. Mm -hmm. So what I really love to do was work with clients, and I love to work in the the direct word for it is sales. Business development has always been something that I have loved. I got a lot of exposure to new business when I worked for agencies. So being able to sit down with organizations that are trying to think about how to solve a problem where communications and marketing might be part of the solution that's something that really gets me up every single day. Yeah, that's so, the sweet spot. And that's also the lifeblood for a professional services firm sure. of growth mm-hmm. and success. Mm-hmm. And so that would be, bar none, my most important advice is to really be open about what you know and what you're good at and really be candid about where you need help and go get it. Hmm. Ask for it. Accept it. That's really how organizations grow. Yeah. And that gets back to the fact that this is a marketplace. And I think it's this has become true more now nationally, too, where we really are all in this together. People are incredibly generous. So if that's hard for you to do, get over yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Good advice. Okay, so you have career milestones that parallel 
the birth of each child. <laughs> so child number three, you, you say, it's time to get out of the basement. What year was it that you set up the first office for Beehive and kind of the, the real, you know, structure? Well, first I brought four more people into the basement with me. Oh, <laughs> okay. With the idea that together we would rebrand the business and we would find a space and create a space together. Mm-hmm. So that seemed to me to be something really fun to do and sort of a magnet for people to say, listen, let's, let's figure this out together. Yeah. Did your basement uh, inspire the beehive name? No. Or how'd you come up with that? <laughs> it did not. We like to call the basement the garden level. Okay, but, sure, I love that. Yep. So, um, no, in fact, the name Beehive really um, is about the fact that beehives are the most productive, collaborative environments in the natural world. Mm-hmm. So there, it's all about communication and in fairly complex structures. Everyone sort of plays to their strengths and has a clear role and the hive is not successful unless everyone's doing their part. Mm -hmm. So that's really how we thought about it. And they're super sophisticated communication environments. So good name. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Okay. So you've got, now you've filled up the basement. You've got a full beehive operating in your home. Then what? My husband tolerated that for about a year. Okay. He was also freelancing. Um, and we then moved over to our first office space. So that was in the early 2000s, right okay. in that in that area. How did it? How did you feel about being more formal? Uh, somehow you went. You did this whole thing, as often happens, because you wanted flexibility. You wanted to be in charge of your destiny and be a a present parent as well. Now you've got people working for you. You've got overhead. You've got an office. Were you, was it whiplash? How did or did it feel like okay? I'm doing something. I have such a great team that came in at that time, and that team of people continues to be our leadership team today. We are celebrating our 18th years together this year. Hmm. So, including the CF, the CFO, our chief of of talent and culture. Chief of Client Services and Chief of Strategy. How many people total on the team? Today, we have 14 full-time, and then we work with a pretty extensive fractional bench. Okay, so fast forward, business is going well. You're like the real deal. You're running an agency. You've you've got an office. And then a pandemic. (laughs) And you have to send everybody home. And what are you thinking? We were very lucky, is what I was thinking. How so? When we changed our name in 2016, we also really put a stake in the ground to become a purpose-driven company. And we started to work toward certification as a B Corporation. Hmm. So certified B Corporations are organizations that meet the highest bar globally for social impact and financial transparency. We believe that business is and must be a force for good. People, planet, and profits will follow. So we had a roadmap. We realigned our services, and we were really, really focused on working with organizations that were increasingly committed to understanding that business is the greatest force we have to drive change. So whether you're an organization, a nonprofit, a for-profit, a media business, it's all business. Mm -hmm. And it's really business that makes the world go around, literally. So we were on that pathway. 
We also were a group of consultants that worked all over the country. Mm-hmm. We already had at Beehive flexibility. You could work from home. You could work from any place on the planet that you wanted to. And and did people, I mean, did they really believe you that they, that it was okay to stay home? They weren't going to, you weren't going to question what they were doing if they were working from home? It was okay to not only stay home and wait for the cable guy, you also could go ahead and go to the hair chair in the middle of the day and transparently tell people you were going to get your hair done. Really? Absolutely. So remember, one of the reasons that I left working for someone else was because I needed to be able to work in a way that was flexible and a way that I felt trusted, mm-hmm. a way that I felt like my clients knew that I was going to be working hard for them, and they didn't really care what I did in the white space. Mm-hmm. They just, I just needed to be able to deliver for them, Get right? Get the work done, yeah. That's how I feel about our team. That's the way we've built our organization. And so if you talk to your employees about flexibility and transparency, And then you don't deliver those things. There's no alignment there to your values. And people will leave. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. There's a lot of opportunities out there. And so that was the culture that we had already created. It was one built on wellness. So physical, emotional, mental health. We had a lot of supports in place for our team. We also knew we had a lease expiring in October of 2020. Mm. I was about three days away from signing a new lease. We were going to move into new space recreate a space that really was designed for workplace of the future because we could see what was coming. It was coming all around us. And we wanted to be sure that we had a space that would continue to be a magnet for our people. So you were thinking about that even before two years of lockdowns and we working had the from plans home. on the drawing board, Allie. So how did the pandemic change those plans? Lisa walks us through it right after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www. PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Fewer walls, more drinks on tap. Lisa compares the old Beehive office to the new one and explains why her employees and clients are choosing to come in more often than she even expected. The space that you had back in March of 2020 was uh, fairly traditional. Did everybody have their own desk? Was it cubicles? We had offices. We had cubes. We had a meditation room. We had, you know, good spaces that were available for collaboration. But we had a lot of walls, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, did you have a corner office? I did not have a corner office. But you had an office. I had an office with a door. (laughs) An office with a door. I did have an office with a door. A lot of us had offices with doors, which were very important when we built that office, I suppose. Yeah. So we let that lease sit. Mm -hmm. We did not proceed with the lease. And we really needed to see what the market was going to bring to us in 2020. What were some of the early things you did when your employees had to work from home that you know, that that maintained the culture that you think made a big difference? We first deployed full offices into their homes. So sit-to-stand desks in the office were moved to employees' homes. 
We wired houses. If anyone wanted to have hardwired, you know, connectivity for both computer as well as uh, telephones, those sorts of things, we paid for all the hardwiring into people's homes. But when did you do that? I mean, when did you, because it seems like for so many people, this rolled out so slowly, it's hard to remember now, but we didn't know that we were going to be home for a year and a half or more. Our folks were fully deployed and operational within about five days. And then as we could get people to come out and do hardwiring, we added that in, right? You weren't worried that you were going to do all that, and then a week later, everybody would be back to the office? I was worried that my team was feeling very, very unstable and very uncertain. And Hmm. anything that I could do to help them feel stable and safe in every sense of the word Mm -hmm. and connected in a new way, we were going to do that as fast as we possibly could. So I hauled a lot of sit-to-stand desks and printers and computers and file, you name it, whatever Mm -hmm. somebody wanted, went into the back of my SUV and we drove that stuff around. Wow. Think about what the world was like right then. Yeah. Masks on, gloves on, and we got everything deployed into people's homes. We did not miss a day of work. But was really critical to remember is that just because we could be there and be available for our clients, people's worlds were tumbling. Mm-hmm. So I you know, had kids that I had to get home from college. I had kids and still a student in high school. We had people whose daycare shut down. We had people with elementary school and high school students. We had people with people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so the most important thing was to be as stable and resilient and reassuring for every member of our team as we could be. Because if our team can't be resilient, how in the world are we going to serve our clients? Right. So who were going through, uh, you know, a whole different scale of this sort of tumbling of everything we had, the norms of what we had, what we had all known and worked with our entire lives. Of course. Of course. So there you are unexpectedly back working from home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And once everybody was set up and things were working, did, was there any thought like, maybe this is it, maybe we just go forward this way and we go back to being remote or back to everybody working in my basement? I think it became really clear that we weren't going back to any office place anytime soon. It didn't take that long for businesses to realize that this was going to be something that collectively the planet had never experienced in 100 years, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think there's a lot of us around that remember exactly how that played out. Yeah. So we, and these are certainly different times. And so we knew pretty early on um, that we were not going to be going back that year and we had a lease expiring. So trying to figure out and navigate the real estate market, we made a decision that we could tell our, our team very confidently they were going to be working from home the entire year of 2020. So if you want to go to a family cabin or, a, you know, you want to go to a second home, you want to go do a work from anywhere, you go. Mm-hmm. We will make it happen. And we set up some really good boundaries and supports. I think that was a, a challenging time. People didn't know what the boundaries were. Mm-hmm. And so we were just really clear about expectations. When we would meet every morning to see each other face to face, we tried to really maintain that connection to each other, doing it remotely. Mm -hmm. And then by the beginning of 2021, everything really went quite well in the context of everything was falling apart, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, and I think we, in living and working in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, we cannot forget ever that in the middle of all that, we had the murder of George Floyd. Right. 
So our community um, was literally on fire. Mm -hmm. And so being able to support our families, our teams, our neighborhoods, our communities in ways that gave people the space that they needed to work through direct trauma and then ripples of trauma was so crucial. We really, really encouraged people to take a breath, Mm -hmm. take time off. The leadership team and I jumped in pretty quickly. We were doing a lot of crisis work, a lot of hurry-up work, a lot of strategy work with clients. So there was a lot of grace given to our team Mm -hmm. and a lot of grace received from our clients. Hmm. So now 2021 is coming. So we still don't have a lease, right? Are you thinking about it? We are thinking about it. And so we really did good input sessions. Some of it was surveys, so it's anonymous, which is comfortable for some people. We talked to clients and we said, if we were going to build a new space, what do you think it might look like? And we said, 12 months from now, what do you think it might look like? Well, no one's looking at, out at 12 months. We're looking, we were in 30-day cycles. Yeah, Forget about quarters, right. right? And so we started to really talk over the first half of 2021 to really determine what did people want, what would be valuable. It was our people, our partners, we talked about our fractional bench and other partners. We talked about clients and then certainly the communities that we live in and the communities we serve. We are a B Corp. We have a mission, a purpose, and a commitment to really support our communities in ways that allow other businesses and perhaps, you know, populations and business owners who are lacking resources in mm-hmm. many different ways, we feel really strongly that we needed to build something that would support our purpose and our B Corp certification and support all those markets that we serve, those audiences. So did you start looking at space? We started to look at space, and what we really found was that the market, you would think there would have been just never-ending leasable space available. Not true. Really? Nope. Those leases were still in place. Mm -hmm. So the offices might have been empty, but the leases had not expired. Sure. We just were an anomaly in that situation. And so those leases were going to be rolling for years. Mm -hmm. And so people really hadn't hadn't given up their space. So by the middle of the year... We were really able to say we are going to build a new beehive or the hive, as our team and our clients call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to sit out and work remotely until 2022. Hmm. So it takes time to build spaces. And mm-hmm. we wanted to do it in a way that was incredibly intentional and very, very inclusive. Did you ever in that long stretch, which was such a gift that I'm sure so many other business owners are so envious of that you had that time instead of paying for a a lease that wasn't being used at that point. Was there ever part of you that just said, I don't know if we're really going to use it. I don't know if anyone will come back. Our team and our clients and our partners told us that they would be joyful to have a space to connect. Hmm. And so that's really what drove the decision. But we made the decision early enough in the year that we could tell our entire team, you will not be called back to an office. We didn't say never, but we said you will not be called back to an office. Let's make sure that we're really openly communicating about who's working where, when, because now we're in, you know, we're in global time zones because people were moving again. Yeah. And so we just really were super open and transparent about how do we make this work? 
And it became sort of this magnificent puzzle that we got to put together that just further showed us that we can do this. Mm -hmm. Our organization can do this. Many organizations can do this. Not every organization. We don't have plants, Mm -hmm. right? We don't have a delivery workforce. There are all kinds of organizations that this is impractical, but we also knew no one was going to go all the way back. There Mm. was no back, right? There was only forward. So it was really an exciting time for us to be able to work with our team to say, you've got the whole year. And then by the time we get to the end of the year of 2021, we'll make some decisions together about what does this return, air quotes, lowercase r, look like. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go from there. You found a space in Mm -hmm. St. Paul. You hired the amazing Betsy Voss, Studio BV. What were the first things that you said to her? What, what were the most important pillars of how this office of the future was going to look and how it was going to be different than your past beehive? Well, we hired the amazing Betsy Voss in 2019. Oh. Betsy and her team, and they are incredible, were going, they already built our space for us. They'd already drawn our space. So, and then we put that on pause. Huh. So we came back to those plans. We found our space in a warehouse building in St. Paul at 550 Vandalia, and it was in shell condition. And we brought in Betsy and her team and said, of this original design, where do we go from here? Because Mm -hmm. now we're creating an entirely different space. Mm -hmm. For example, we had a gym and showers built into our plan. We've had a gym and showers at our beehive space, previous beehive space. Over the course of the pandemic, our team told us, I've really figured this out. I've either got what I want at home. I've got a gym really close to my house. I don't really need a gym and showers at the office anymore. Interesting. So that was a big learning. Yeah, that saves Um, you a lot of money. The other hand, (laughs) they definitely still wanted a lot of space to be able to do meditation and have quiet time. And some of those real resilient practices that we had built into the culture Mm -hmm. for wellness, they wanted to make sure that we still had those protected spaces. It's almost like flipping the script. They come to the office to get away from all the noise and chaos of home. Irony. Mm -hmm. Truly. So that was, we really sat down with Betsy and team and we developed a whole different strategy. And it was based on the fundamental belief that we would always be a work-from-anywhere company. Hmm. And that is still the belief and the promise that we hold today for our team. Did you create enough space so that if everybody was there, there would be room? Yes. In fact, we could have everybody and their families, and everyone would still be able to sit down, wire in, work, collaborate, Mm -hmm. you know, enjoy, cook a meal. We've got it all there. You've got it all. So Mm -hmm. take us on a a virtual tour. You're leading with, it's it's almost more like the way you would design a home. Is that fair to say? Where where the the cafe and the gathering space is more prominent than the offices. That is the entry point to the space. And so when you come into the space, we have about 5,000, 5,500 square feet, pretty similar to what we had previously but the space is configured completely differently. So when you come into the space, we have 
a very long communal island that was done by Wood from the Hood locally. Mm. Mm -hmm. So reclaimed wood, local artisans. We have a cafe set up so that it's principally your beverage bar, right? Mm -hmm. So on one end, you've got everything on tap. So you've got hot water, carbonated water. You've got perfectly 205-degree tea water. You've got caffeinated, uncaffeinated. Amazing what a difference it makes. Absolutely. Snacks and drinks are everything at the office. Healthy snacks, all kinds of beverages. No one use, uh, no one use containers. Mm-hmm. So everything is coming out of taps and things like that because again, environmental footprinting mm-hmm. matters a lot to us. It's a beautiful entry to the space, and it also has twelve luxuriously comfortable seats. And so we have people that come in, they sit down there. We never get them into a meeting room. Because they're super comfortable just sitting there and meeting. Mm-hmm. We've got another open ga- gathering space to the left when you walk in. And that is a big banquette, just like you would be sitting in a luxurious restaurant. And so we've got these lo- lovely lighting. We've got, you know, plugins for computers and power and everything. So we've got people that sit there and push, you know, they look like restaurant tables together and sit and work collaboratively. Mm-hmm. Or you can sit there and just work. So there's room there for another dozen people, or you can work independently and in small groups. We've got huddle rooms. So those are wired so that our technology is absolutely seamless, regardless of where you're working from. You put a lot of money into the technology part of this. We put a lot of money into the technology. So it breaks down into about, you know, four quarters, as most things do. About 50% of our $1 million investment went to construction and everything to do with construction. About 25% went to technology. And it really is not that our technology is so complex. It's just clean. We're built for the technology. Mm -hmm. So every room has um, really excellent access to monitors and sound. So you can do hybrid meetings. You got it. And no one feels othered. Mm-hmm. No one feels like if I'm not in the room, I am not part of the meeting or I, I'm in a different sort of space and I'm not, people don't see me. All of the conference rooms are oriented to that. Is it proving out though? Now, now that you, I mean, do, do people feel totally fine or are they feeling a little pressured to come in if, if, you know, eight out of 10 people in the meeting are in person? We opened the space in August and I'll tell you that we are tracking how often people come in, and they're self-tracking. That's mm-hmm. not the company tracking it, but people are self-tracking what days they're coming in. We expected, based on early input, that it would be one to two times a week. We're currently at two to three times mm-hmm. a week for our employees. Mm-hmm. What's been the most exciting for me is that I never imagined the number of client meetings that would take place at the space. Really, And the reason is that We're used to going to client sites if the client is local, Mm -hmm. right? But we've got large clients who don't want to go back to empty floors at corporate headquarters. Hmm. They don't want to put their team and their partners through security and through parking and through. So, like, can we just come and meet at the Hive? Yes, you can. You're like, yes, there's kombucha on tap. (laughs) Come on over. (laughs) And the space is just designed to be so flexible. So, their teammates can, can, you know, come into the meeting from any place. Our team can. We are working with all kinds of electronic whiteboards. We also can do things internally that if people really want to do something where they want full connection with their team, 
which means in-person connection, the rooms are also designed to do that. Hmm. So sometimes we'll be in those meetings with our clients, and sometimes it'll be a client just hosting their leadership team. Hmm. And we'll just provide sort of the hospitality and the space to do that. No assigned offices. There are For no- For you too? Not at all. Okay. Nope. No assigned offices. Do you miss your door? I do not miss my door. Not at all. So there are plenty of places to work quietly and privately. We've got focus rooms that are designed for one to two people. We've got huddle rooms that are designed for, you know, two to six to eight people. We've got full conference rooms. We even have a space that can be opened up and can accommodate about 60 people. Hmm. So we can open it up to nonprofits. We can open it up and host professional learning events for industry organizations. So it really is designed to be very flexible. Mm -hmm. And I would say that my goal as the owner was if we had someone there or something happening 80% of the days, so four days a week with really no designs on who that was or what was happening, I would be overjoyed. Mm -hmm. We have people there every day doing something. We have people asking Would someone come in and open it up for a weekend so we could do an all-day board meeting? Hmm. Could we? So people are seeking spaces to connect. Yeah. And whether it's about, you know, we have a lot of employers now who are saying, we need to mandate people to come back because it's all about collaboration. It's all about innovation. And they're doing that without a whole lot of input or research to back that up. So it feels to employees that it really is more about you're mandating it for the convenience of leadership. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with that is that employees will either immediately or over time, they'll choose away from you. So we built the space to be a magnet yeah. to say, this is a place to connect creatively, humanly. We want it to be inspiring. We wanted it to be warm and inviting and just frictionless. Mm-hmm. And that's what we designed, and that's what people are experiencing. It sounds amazing. Obviously, the space itself is amazing. We've featured in, in, in Twin Cities Business. You can see pictures online. Maybe you could get invited if you're really nice to Lisa. Um, what is happening in terms of culture? I mean, flexibility can get a little tricky. Everybody has a different definition. Have you had any issues whatsoever with, you know, either syncing up schedules or somebody maybe taking a few too many liberties or never being available at a certain time or work not getting done, anything? We were working this way before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We got incredibly good at it during the pandemic. And now to have all of the options, I think our team is so invested in the space Mm -hmm. because they designed it. They unpacked the old office boxes and brought them to the new space. If somebody doesn't like the way the kitchen is organized, they'll reorganize it. Mm-hmm. It's Everybody has such a tremendous amount of ownership that they feel like it is their space. So I think the way that we really measure the impact of the office is fairly holistic. So I, here are some things that I can tell you about our measures because we just ended a year, mm-hmm. right? So we know what our measures look like. I can tell you that... Preceding the pandemic and through 2022, our employee retention rate was 100%. Mm. I can tell you that over the last two years, we have hired and onboarded six FTEs, full-time employees, and all six of those were first-choice candidates. Hmm. Those are the kinds of measures that we're looking for, Allie. Mm -hmm. I can tell you 
that our business in 2021, our revenue grew 34%. We are going to grow double digits in 2022 as well. Mm -hmm. We just need to finish crunching those numbers. Amazing. Those are the sorts of data points that we're looking at to drive these decisions. So when we trust our people, it is repaid to us. Yeah in immeasurable ways. Yeah. But this is based on trust. Sure. And of course, as you've said, I mean, a, a lot of your employees you've have been with you for a long time and they've known, you know, kind of you've got your shorthand with, with how you work. What about with newer, younger people who don't maybe even remember what it was like or didn't experience work pre-pandemic? I think that's a challenge that a lot of leaders are talking about. It is challenging. I think that what we find with our youngest employees, and some of whom never worked in an office place before they came to be, whether it was an intern yeah. or now they're an FTE Or they on our started team. their career remotely. Right. And then I have this great focus group of my own kids mm. and their quartile, right? Yeah, yeah. I had one graduate in 2020, one graduate in 2022, both mm -hmm. from college. So I'm kind of seeing this through their lens and all of their friends' lens that I believe that our youngest employees have been most affected by the pandemic. Sure. Because think about starting your career and the way you learned from oh, other people. Yeah. Right, was to be connected to them. So we've been incredibly intentional about making sure that those connections happen in every possible way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that they have to have their seat in my seat, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have to be intentional. So we have, for a company our size, it might be uncommon that we have an SVP of culture and talent. So onboarding people, making sure that people really understand the way we work, making sure that people understand where those boundaries are. Mm -hmm. We, for example, absolutely have a fixed PTO plan because we believe, and in our experience, that unlimited PTO plans really are difficult for people to navigate. They don't know. How much is too much? Mm. So those generally favor employers. So where our, our employees need boundaries and have asked for those boundaries, we provide them. Mm -hmm. And so it is really about clarity, transparency, and consistency. Mm. Those are sort of our mantras with our own company and also what we talk about with our clients. Yeah. You're so thoughtful about all of this. I mean, we have to remember that you are, you know, relatively small in size. Do you think that what you've done could be recreated for a company that had 100 employees or more? Everything that we are doing can be replicated by companies with thousands of employees. What it requires is an appetite to acknowledge that the world has changed. It was changing before the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated everything that was possible, both in terms of the amount of change and the pace of change. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things that were being deployed slowly or that businesses were resistant to, suddenly it was about survival. And now suddenly, look, we can't all work remotely. Yeah. So these things were in place. There was just this massive acceleration. And so rather than thinking about how do we go backward, it's, okay, we've accelerated here. Now, where do we go from here to make sure that those things that customers and employees and our communities tell us are crucial and are differentiating to our businesses, why should they choose us, mm -hmm. that we really, really exemplify and lean into those and really build 
around those things that are going to take us forward. Hmm. And so that's a, just a different paradigm to make decisions from. So you see this ultimately, I mean, in a, in a weird way, this aspect of what happened to our lives and everything changing so dramatically and quickly, silver lining? I know that the pandemic for millions and millions and millions of people, there's no silver lining for them. They've lost people that they love. They've lost businesses and homes and our healthcare workers are exhausted. I don't ever want to overlook any of that. Of course. But from a work perspective, from a business culture perspective. Absolutely. In every way. And change is not hard. If we could all stop saying change is hard for humans, we're wired for change. We are wired for change. And so what we need to understand as leaders, regardless of you're running a micro-sized business or you're running a global, you know, enterprise, is that it is always about the people. Always. It is about the people that drive your business. It is about the people that buy your products and services. It is about the communities that you support and work with. It is always about the people. Mm -hmm. And right now, the people have different expectations and the people are tired. In, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. 2023 is going to be a year, I believe, where we'll start to see this pendulum that we've been talking about swinging back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's really just been like the pendulum in a bell, and it's been knocking around in circles trying to determine what are people going to tolerate? What are they going to be magnetized to? How do we move forward? And employers are going to have to listen. It's not just about working from home. Expectations have been rising for decades. We want to work for and buy from businesses that we believe what we believe and act accordingly. Hmm. That's not changing. So in that context of decision-making around, will we mandate people to come back or not come back? I'd really, really encourage leaders to start by listening. Hmm. Ask. Ask often. Ask over time. Ask why. Ask what if. How could this look? There is so much good thinking there. Mm -hmm. But really looking at an empty floor in an office tower and saying, we're paying a lot of money for this space. I'm going to mandate them back because we need to be here for collaboration. Yeah. That's not really going to hold. Yeah. And it won't be successful long term. It seems like um, this whole process and this work has really really energized you. Like, you're really good at this. I am really, really lucky to have aligned myself to a career that I didn't know I was seeking mm -hmm. and to do it for my entire life with clients that have trusted me and taught me and believed in me with a team that is so inspired to grow and change and wired for positivity in a way that just says, yeah, this might be challenging, but all right, let's mm -hmm. give it a shot. Uh, you know, if this doesn't work, we can always take a left. So just this idea that we have to be nimble and really happiness and fulfillment come from change. It comes from new opportunities. That's how human beings are wired. So could there maybe be like a little satellite business where you're just consulting with other businesses on how to create their office of the future? I see this for you, Lisa. We do a lot of speaking and we do a lot of tours. So uh -huh. you, you offered up to your listeners, you don't even have to be that nice to me. Just go to our website and hit the contact us form. 
So we really are bringing in a lot of uh, clients, but also just a lot of companies that are really trying to rethink how they build a business going forward. How can they make it work? Mm -hmm. So in our internal engagement work, our employee engagement work, we're already doing a lot of this work. Now, I'm not soon going to become a fabulous Betsy Voss, (laughs) but in terms of decision making, how do you work through this? How do you communicate it? Mm -hmm. How do you engage your team? We do that work through part of our business because it's all wired culture work. Mm -hmm. And that's a big area of expertise for us. I think the thing that's so exciting for me and for our team going forward is I feel like the next 25 years, I'm just getting started. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to come work at the Beehive. And it's amazing the way you've thought all this through. And I think it's really going to be inspirational and helpful to a lot of others who are sorting this out. You're welcome at the Beehive anytime. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, first of all, you might find me just camping out at Beehive because it's a beautiful new space and really inspiring the way Lisa has thought through the, the challenges and work culture of the future. To, to add some more perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Mike Porter is a marketing professor. But even more than that, Mike was doing some of the very same things Lisa was in communications at the same time, but went about setting his business up a little differently. Isn't that right, Mike? Yeah, I, the, the business that I had was similar in bringing in freelancers and, and so on. I did not have the intentionality to want to to grow a business and have a whole bunch of employees. And, and I think that takes uh, a different kind of a person. But the time that we were doing that in was, you know, the late 90s and around the Internet bubble and so on. And there was so much going on in this town and so many opportunities to to do work that we saw more people freelancing in not just communication kinds of things that it. So it was similar you know, that that whole idea that our past is really a different kind of future. Those people that engaged and wanted to be a part of those kinds of businesses working out of their homes and, and so on, it was just starting to, to really take traction at that time. Interesting. One of the things that's so that seems so different today is back then it was kind of black and white. Either you were a freelancer and you were on your own and you were home and you didn't have a team, or if you were going to grow and, and develop staff, you had to have an office, you had to be in the office. It became much more traditional, which is actually what Lisa reacted to and why she started her business in the first place. Today, it feels like you can kind of do it all or maybe not. How do you see it? And what are you advising some of the companies that you talk to? Well, you know, I think that the, one of the things that you have to take into consideration and that I think Lisa hit on really well is that the kinds of people she was bringing in, you know, are they're self-motivated. They're doing those kinds of, you know, she doesn't ever think about whether they're trying to take advantage of her or her clients as far as, oh, how much, how little can I do to get by here? Mm. And I think that that's one of the big concerns that sort of floats in the background of, well, how can we be this way? Well, those folks who excelled during the pandemic and worked in your organizations went, oh, hey, I can do this. And and we can set measures to to say, this is how I know you're doing your work. I don't care how long it takes, just if you get this done by Thursday, right? you can do it in the middle of the night, you can do it whenever you do. And the necessity becomes finding those people and looking for those triggers that say, yeah, you fit and you can work well doing these kinds of things. And what's right. that balance? And I think that a lot of companies were surprised to, and maybe didn't give 
their staff enough credit that people were motivated and would get things done even without the structure of the traditional office? Well, I, you know, in the time between 2000 and you know 2020, you know, there were some large organizations in this town that played with that game, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. They found people taking advantage of the situation and 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 so on. What we've gone through in the last couple of years has has really sort of sifted things and made it so that there are a lot more people who can see themselves in those kinds of roles mm. and and be able to sort of say, this is the part of this that I can do or want to do. Right. I'm happy working on Zoom during these time frames or or in this way, but I want to have some time when I can be in the office. I want to have some, you know. What's the balance? And they now feel empowered to ask for those things, which they might not have. I think that that's, that's a great way to sort of um, position it. Yeah. But it's the responsibility of the employer to be able to make sure that all of the confines are set up. And I think, as Lisa said, you know, we have very specific rules around our PTO. Mm-hmm. You know, we have fixed PTO because we did, they needed that as opposed to this wide open space to take as much time as you want. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily on board with that, you you have to figure out what the parameters are. And as long as those are established, then you can work in this, these environments. Right. So if there's one big takeaway or something, because I know that you consult with businesses and as you're teaching and talking about this in, in business, whether it's in the classroom or outside, what would you say is the best piece of advice you would give to companies right now as they try to sort out the office of the future and, and the future of work? Well, if you're looking at it from what's been done at Beehive, you you say, well, culture has driven a lot of the success of being in this unique environment. And so to the degree that you have an established culture, then what's working with it and 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 take that forward. If you haven't established a culture, if you can do that, the the thing that I think that Lisa did really well is there's an intentionality to it. What kind of culture do we want? How do we want people to be able to work and what do we want from them so that you can bring them in and become a magnet to bring those folks that you want that want to work in your kind of environment. You don't mm-hmm. want everybody. You want the ones that want to play with the kinds of clients that you have, with the clients of work that you have in the environment that you have and fill those spaces. It's just a new variable in the way that we do that. Absolutely. It's not just about the skills and can you do the job. It's does your culture match with ours? Does your culture and the and the individual tastes of the of the folks? We're yeah. still going to have gregarious people, and we're still going to have introverts. How do we balance those so that we we get the work done? Right, right. Good perspective. Lots to think about, and I know this is a topic we're going to be talking about uh, for a long time to come. Mike Porter, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll also find us on most major podcast platforms. If you're on Apple, go ahead and rate and review us. It really does help the show. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Associate Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. Mm-hmm.